Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Right, guys. Well, welcome back to the show today. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk about something that I think is really important, and I don't think that it's being talked about enough, and that's contemplative prayer. What is it? Why is it important? Uh, Why should we mark and avoid it? Why shouldn't we engage in it? All all of those things. And with me uh, to talk about this is my sister in Christ, uh, Doreen Virtue. Doreen, it's good to good to talk with you, sister. Thank you for bringing up this important topic, brother, because this is a doozy, and it's one of those that is sneaking into the church like a Trojan horse. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen this. I think I was mentioning it to you. You know, when when high school, I think it was high school or maybe early my early twenties. Um, so that was like mid nineties. Uh, I, I, I read Richard Foster's book. I had no idea what, what that, what that was. Um, at that time I was even starting to get into the reformers and the Puritans. And, uh, so now, you know, years later, I realized uh, I shouldn't have read that, you know, it's, it's not any, any good. Do you want to tell us? Uh, well, okay. So Richard Foster in his book about celebrations, he popularized contemplative prayer and contemplative prayer really combines mysticism with eisegesis. So we should define our terms. Eisegesis is when you're reading into scripture, as opposed to exegesis, when scripture interprets scripture and tells you what it means. In eisegesis, you you kind of force yourself into the verses, and uh, it's really about I. Even though it's spelled E-I, it's really an I, eisegesis, it's a me-centered theology. And mysticism is really something that, of course, the Roman Catholic Church has popularized, as has New Age, which was my background before I was saved. And mysticism is all about supernatural experiences and, and God, special private revelations that you're getting. Um, the Lectio Divina and uh, contemplative prayer is something we're seeing in the um, progressive churches. We're seeing not only Richard Foster, but Richard Rohr popularized this. Bethel Redding has a so-called healing room that is specially set up for you to lay down and to get special messages, private revelation from God that they're calling contemplative prayer. And so, as you can imagine, this is spiritually dangerous because it could be a combination of our imagination, our wishful thinking, And maybe even demons masquerading as angels of light, giving us unbiblical messages and urging us to do things that are sinful, like, you know, go get a divorce or quit your job and be irresponsible to your children and family or uh, engage in some sort of adulterous affair or go get drunk, because that's what you really what your flesh wants. And then you might say, well, God told me to do this and think that that is your excuse. And it's really not, of course. So. Uh, anytime you hear Lectio Divino, I mean, just look at what it means in Latin. It means divine reading or sacred reading, 
which doesn't even make sense because anytime you're reading the Bible, it's it's sacred reading because it's God breathed. Yeah, this kind of uh, practice, it, it's it's supposed to give you a heightened sense of, you know, your union with God. And as you mentioned, it's Roman Catholic. It's was especially popular among the Benedict mon- monastics. And, right. you know, this practice makes me, like you said, at the center. And that, as we've talked about often together, you know, that is the problem, you know, that we are lovers of self and not lovers of God. We are enemies of God. And that's why we need the redemption that Christ has purchased for us. And that's why Second Corinthians 5 tells us to be reconciled to God um, immediately now. That, that's what Paul said to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, uh, 31, to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Uh, that's Romans 10, 9 through uh, 17. Um, if you confess your mouth and believe in your heart, um, you can be saved uh, because of what Christ has done on your behalf and his death and resurrection. And so, yeah, this this is absolutely dangerous. It'll lead you away from God. It'll lead you away from his word. It'll lead you away from everything that God has has given for you. And so, um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we know from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that the word is sufficient. It's all God breathed. It's it is sufficient for everything we need. We don't need to go outside of scripture and get some special extra private revelation, which is really prideful, I find. I think people who come up to you and say, I have a word for you from the Lord, they they kind of puff out their chest and they act like they've got something special insight that they're going to gift you with. And when that ever happens to you, just say, No, no, thanks. I don't need that. I've got I've got Jesus, you know, as Hebrews 1 1 told us uh, long ago and many days be- before, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these days, God spoke to us through his son. In other words, after Jesus came, we don't need any more prophets. And the biblical prophets are very different than the so-called modern prophets that want to stroke your egos and tell you things that psychics say about soulmates and job promotions and, and, you know, stroking your ego. Biblical prophets were never like that. They all Mm -hmm. called people to repentance, come back to God's covenant, or there will be uh, an exile or a curse and horrible things will happen. So we just want to stay away from people who seem to be offering something fresh or new, which is a lot of what this um, kind of genre tends to try to do is, is think that the Bible's not enough. So I'm going to come up with something brand new for you. The Bible is closed. The canon's closed for a reason. There is no addition to it. it. God spoke. And if we need a word from God, all we have to do is open his word. Now, what's interesting is that there's a heavy emphasis on meditation with contemplative prayer and Lectio Divina, and that can be confusing for people who say, well, didn't Jesus meditate? And doesn't it say here in Psalm 1 and Joshua 1, we are to meditate on the law day and night? We have to look at the, in the Bible, the word meditate in Hebrew was Hagah, which means to utter or mutter aloud. And so it really means as you're reading the word to be speaking it to yourself out loud and in kind of a quiet speaking it to yourself. Meditate doesn't mean to open your mind and ask for a spirit to give you a fresh revelation. That's just asking for spiritual trouble. Mm, Yeah. This is what the reformers and the Puritans did so well is they sought to take what the Bible says and what it teaches and to 
to take it and to explain it and to help apply it to our life. That's why, you know, we have men like Owen and Bunyan, John Bunyan and uh, many others that are that are so well known. In fact, speaking of Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress uh, from, you know, prison and Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said of Bunyan, uh, if you cut him, he will bleed, but bleed. Now he's not saying literally. If you cut him, he'll bleed, but bleed. Okay, don't don't take that literally. Uh, but he's saying that Bunyan was so full of scripture that you know he knew it so well. Well, how did he know it? It's because he read it, he studied it, he meditated on it, uh, he had memorized it, he put it into practice in the in the stuff of his life. And that's that's what the reformers and the Puritans did so well is they were called physicians of the soul and they sought to, you know, apply the medicine of scripture and then what the church has taught to our lives. And so over and against that particular, you know, which, you know, guys like Thomas Watson and uh, many others were master provided masterful help way way more significant than anything i could ever hope to write um you know just to be frank uh they they wrote so helpfully for us and this is over and against this contemplated prayer this eastern mysticism this emptying of your mind and your heart and you know whatever and just kind of floating out there in the sky um we know instead we need to be grounded as you said rightly in the scriptures and we need to, it, it, there is a, there is a sense, you know, from that passage that you, that you cited. Um, I really appreciate the, that bringing out the Hebrew word because it, it actually does me, what memories or meditation does is it, is it, 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 it provides a way in which we, we are to think God's thoughts back after him. And it's to, or to train our minds to think rightly um, and so in that way, we can say it's not about our self-talk. It's about the way we view ourselves rightly and then how we relate to God, how we commune with God. And that affects how we, you know, obviously our our thought processes and our thinking. And that's way different than, you know, modern psychology, which the, the other point I'd make about that is, you know, you know, psychology by itself, you know, the church actually was engaged in the care of souls well before you know the world ever even bothered because we wanted to love god and love other people and so you know that that just kind of in, in out of the love for god and love for people we wanted to care for people and walk alongside of them and so you know we can clearly see then over, over and against this view of contemplative prayer that god has something infinitely better for us and he's given it to us in his word he sure has. And that's what we need to be careful is uh, a lot of times people are influenced by these so-called celebrity pastors like your Richard Foster, Richard Rohr, who want to push these agendas. And for me and a lot of others, it comes by way of what's called a spiritual director, which I got tangled into for a, a while, um, right as I was Right before I was saved and then right after I was saved, I was very confused coming out of 59 years in the new age and a wrong view of Jesus and reading the Bible through, you know, eisegesis of Christian science. Uh, and so at that time, I was going to a progressive church in the, um, the Episcopalian uh, denomination. And so 
my pastor, he's called a priest because it was like Catholicism, light, they called it. Uh, he said, well, I want you to go to a spiritual director. So he sent me to a female priest who, um, who it, it was not, <laughs> it was not biblical counseling. She was a very nice woman. I, you know, I feel bad saying this, like I'm not putting her down, but it wasn't biblical counseling. It wasn't grounded in the Bible. But then when I, when Michael and I moved, I continued to uh, try to have a spiritual director. And so when we moved from Hawaii to where we live now, um, I engaged a spiritual director here, another woman, and she got me into Lectio Divina. And so my thought was, well, she knows more than me. She's She's been a Christian longer than me. So she must know that this is okay. So uh, that's how I stumbled with Lectio Divina in the beginning of my walk with Christ. And it was only by God's grace and mercy and my Bible study that I discovered that this was not biblical. That this was, in fact, unbiblical and spiritually dangerous. And I stopped seeing her at that point. So I just want to warn people that even if someone you trust is telling you to do this, and I I saw um, as we're filming this, there's a so-called revival going on. And the people at the revival are all getting Lectio Divina instruction cards uh, at that so-called revival. And so that's a big red flag for me that that revival is more about uh, personal experience, which is what Pentecostalism is all about. It's that you're supposed to feel God. You're supposed to feel the Holy Spirit. And if you don't feel him, then it's a dead church, they say. And our feelings often contradict scripture. I mean, Jeremiah was at 17.9 says the heart is deceitful. And so we're not to trust it. Calvin said that the heart is an idol factory. So going to your feelings as someone who did that for 59 years, I can tell you it creates a, a it creates disasters in your life and it can hurt your loved ones and yourself. So don't follow your feelings. Follow the Bible's wisdom. You know, James says that if we need wisdom, we go to God. And how do we get God's wisdom? Not through contemplative prayer, not through Lectio Divina, which for most people begins with a prayer that's really dangerous. Your, your prayer for Lectio Divina is usually speak for your servant is listening. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that's opening the doorway mm-hmm. for, for demons to come in. And they'll, you know, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, don't you know that the devil masquerades as an angel of light? 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen says that devil's workers are often disguised as workers of righteousness, but they're really workers of Satan. And that's what I was before I was saved, unknowing. That's what a lot of these teachers that are pushing Lectio Divina are. They're working for Satan unknowingly. So uh, this is this is something that's really bad, you guys. Stay away from it. Mark and avoid Lectio Divina and contemplative prayer or anything like that. I mean, it yeah. y- y- it's it's using truth with lies mixed together because we are told that after we read the Bible, we are to chew on the word. We're to pray on it, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us more illumination for it, which is something I do every day when I read the Bible. But you don't let yourself go outside the bounds of the Bible. And you make sure you know that Bible by reading it every day. Read the whole Bible, not just the New Testament. Read the whole Bible and keep reading it every day the rest of your life. Listen to it by audio and compare everything to scripture. Acts 17, 11, the Bereans told us that they did that. Even when the apostle Paul, who wrote more books of the new Testament than anybody else, they, as he was preaching, they were looking at scripture and going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and comparing what he was saying, because that's what we're called to do is be Bereans. 
Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, as you're talking about revival and everything, you know, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote his, uh, you know, religious affections in large part to respond to that, you know, true and false revival. We've seen false revival uh, today. We think that people walking down an aisle and you can somehow manufacture a revival. Now, I'm going to be honest, I haven't paid enough attention to comment on one way or another on the Ashbury revival, but I'm just going to say a true revival will be a, a work where the Bible is central and because the spirit aims to use the, the word preach to bring uh, to men and women to saving faith. Uh, that's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word God. And so anything that is opposed to that is a false revival. Um, anybody that is saying otherwise, other than that, is a false teacher. They should be marked and avoided. Uh, and and the point that you're making about the larger point, I think, about feelings and, and emotionalism um, is, is a huge issue in the church today because we have too many people that are driven first by feelings and not by faith and confidence in the word of God. Um, and that is a classic hallmark of what we would call not only progressive Christianity, that's the newer term, it's, there's actually an older term, theological liberalism, which is all about my feelings. Uh, J. Gresham Machen in his classic book, Christianity and Liberalism in 1920, said that this theological liberalism or progressive Christianity, whichever you prefer, is a different religion than biblical Christianity. Um, now, fast forward over 100 plus years and we're still dealing with the same thing that J. Gresham Machen warned in 1920. Um, this whole idea that it's about me and my feelings at, at the center place. And so my feelings and God's word are on the same plane at the same level. It's the same thing that we've seen over and over again. And then you look at, you know, the, the rise of the contemplated prayer, the Enneagram, yoga, so on and so forth. It's, it, it all goes back to that. Because when you don't want to honor and submit to God's word, you're always going to find a cheap substitute. And that cheap substitute is never going to satisfy. It is never going to help you. It's never going to help you to grow in Christ or, or anything at all. And so, you know, I'll say it again. I know I've said this many times now, but the reason that we avoid those things is because it, it doesn't cohere with the Bible. You know, uh, and if it doesn't, we're... Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, that we're to test all things and hold fast to what, what is good. That means that there is a, the, the word test there, it means to examine or analyze things. And that so we're supposed to test and examine and analyze what is in the Bible and, and look out at our world and say, hey, that doesn't cohere with what's in the Bible. And so then we reject it if it doesn't cohere with the Bible. And so uh, this, these are these are really important things because we're living in a time when many people would rather have, as Paul said in Second Timothy three, have their ears tickled rather than you know just believe the Bible, have confidence in the Bible, trust the Bible, live by the Bible. But you even have some Christians who don't believe they believe in what we call partial uh, in, in, partial inerrancy. You know, whereas we believe that the Bible is totally without error, that it's totally without the possibility of error, they think that it's that, that these are the same people. They think that they don't. They might teach that the Bible is without error, but what they mean is that it's partially without error, not totally without error, and definitely not binding on our lives. Forget that. And so these are the same people 
then that think that the Bible is full of contradictions and myths and fairy tales. And so then they question and ridicule those who do stand on the Bible. Wow, by the way, these are the same people that you can know them, Jesus said, by their fruits. These are the same people that are telling you today, follow the Enneagram, follow Loga, engage in mysticism, follow. You can have you can have it your you can have a, a smoothie and you can dump every sort of Eastern mysticism and every sort of thing in it, and you can mix your Bible in with it and you can drink it and you can feast on it. No, you can't. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23 through 27 to count the cost. Um, he came, he said he came to bring a sword. Uh, you know, and that sword is his word. His word stands opposed to that. Hebrews 4, 12 says that the word of God you know, rightly divides um, between joint and marrow and flesh. And so, you know, it's a sharp two-edged sword that that cuts through the lies. And we have to stand on the Bible and expose those lies. Uh, uh, we're, we're, to, we're to do that, Ephesians uh, 5.11. So, um, I mean, we could go on and on about that. So Yeah, it's dangerous. And it's just so sad that, I mean, when I was first being called out of the New Age, um, you know, I was going to church for two years before I was saved in a, in different denominations. And I thought if it said Christian, it was Christian. And it really opened my eyes to see that not every Christian is Bible believing. In fact, it's probably a slim min minority, uh, sadly. And I was falling for uh, Joyce Meyer and, you know, two spiritual directors, which isn't really even a thing. If you want counseling, don't go to a spiritual director. I mean, be very careful. Go to a biblical counselor. And even then, make sure that they are a God-fearing, Bible-believing biblical counselor who's taken training, you know, because these are titles people can just give themselves. And uh, just be really careful. Just because someone's got a TV platform or a lot of followers on social media and a Bible in their hand does not mean that they're trustworthy and that you should be following them. Yes. Well said. So what are some things, you know, that we we can look for, you know, in, you know, you talked about the spiritual director, but what are some things that people can really look for when they look to to not engage in this? You know what I mean? Like the things that they should look for when to know that this is a contemplated prayer type church or practice or things like that, just from your background and experience that you would want people to know about? That's an excellent question. Um, I noticed that whenever churches engage in this type of mysticism, they utilize some of the tools that we have in the new age, which is that um, meditative music. And you'll see this whenever Todd White gives a so-called prayer, and his prayers are very long meditations. There's this almost hypnotic uh, monotonous keyboard, synthetic keyboard in the background of these kind of churches that want you to engage in contemplative prayer. And it's very hypnotic and it'll make you drowsy and, and you'll kind of, your mind will wander. And there's suggestions being planted as you're doing this, you know, the, they might do what's called um, indirect uh, commandments. So they might do something that's called indirect commandments. They'll say, well, you might want to close your eyes and you might want to start breathing deeply and they'll have you focus on yourself. So you might want to notice your breathing and you may even notice that your breathing is slowing down. And so that's the, the guided meditation, new age hypnosis kind of leading in to getting your uh, messages from within. And that's 
where I would just walk out of the church or setting or wherever you are. Um, a lot of women's retreats will do that. And it's just, it's spiritually dangerous. We don't have time to mess around with this sort of thing. If you're going to stay, keep your eyes open, keep your Bible open, stay in the word and only stay so that you can warn others of what's going on. If you're bold enough, you know, to tip tables, stand up and say, no, this is not right. This is not in the word. And uh, just don't engage in these mystical kind of practices because they do not lead to increasing godly behavior. They do not lead to conforming to Christ. They do not lead to uh, renewing your mind. It's only through Bible study and through biblical-based prayers do we find that we can follow what the Bible tells us to follow. Mm, yeah. I mean, the, the path is narrow. Uh, the gate is narrow and the way to hell is very broad and the way to hell being broad is very feel good. It's lazy to be honest. I mean, you've written two books on biblical literacy. Don't you think laziness is part of it? Yeah, I do. I think that, that biblical literacy, you know, it is, it's, it's a lot of it is just, just being able to, to understand what strategies work for you is growing in biblical literacy and figuring that out sometimes means that somebody that what, what, what we do in that is we hear the experiences of others and we take those experiences and we don't take we take them and then we try them and then we might fail but what we don't do is we don't when we hear those stories what we should do we should hear the principles hey this worked for me mm -hmm. then go find something and and maybe we need to be a bit clearer about that you know, but at the same time, you, when you so I'm just going to say when you hear those stories, be encouraged that somebody found help that in that in that way. But then find out about the principles behind that. Think about the principles. How did that person arrive to those to that place? You know, so, you know, when you spend five to ten minutes in in prayer in the word and then in, and then, you know, maybe five minutes of Bible, five minutes of prayer. You know, that's a that's a start. That's a starting place. You know, I would never say stay there. Obviously, you should you should continue on, you know, spend some more time, spend more quality time. Like if you have 30 minutes to drive to your job, spend, you know, 15 minutes listening to the Bible, ESV app right. uh, through Bluetooth um, or those things. And then 15 minutes in prayer. And this is where I think one thing that we we should probably talk about is how our the Bible should inform our prayer lives because this is really where lecto divinia and contemplated prayer it it's it our theology coming from god's word should affect our prayer life you know right. and the bible bible has so many it's not too many christians i think have this idea well i'll just pray the lord's prayer okay that's one prayer to pray mm -hmm. There's, yeah. there's also praying your petitions and supplications, so making requests known to God. There's interceding for, for other people um, and and so much more. The, the Bible is rich and varied in the type of prayer that we can that offer. And all of this, of course, is because of uh, Christ who is who said it's finished. He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. He's our mediator of, of the new covenant. So we can go to him, Hebrews 4.16 says and he invites us to do so amen and praise the lord that he gave us his bible i want to just say that my biggest regret in my life is not reading the whole bible and studying it sooner 
And so if you're watching this and you haven't, please learn from my mistakes and get your Bible out and just get in it. It's not easy the first time you're wrestling through it, but it's a necessary wrestle. We've got to do it. It's not even optional. And, and you know, Second Peter 3.18 says that some of these things, speaking about Paul, are hard to understand. They're hard to understand. So no matter your education level and skill and handling God's work, they're hard for a reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some of them are just, some of these things are, are difficult and you're going to have to wrestle with them, really think about them. You're going to have to ask others you are further along to help you. And that's okay too. You know, that's what your pastor's there for, especially that's what trusted brothers and sisters are there for. And by trustworthy, I mean, they, they adhere to the Bible and they actually adhere to uh, what the church has said about orthodoxy. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you yeah, know. you want to make sure that you're at a, a church where it's a male pastor and he's if you if it's a mixed congregation, I mean, we women should be in women's Bible study with a Titus two mature Christian female leading. But for Sunday church, it should be a male pastor, exegetical preaching, going line by line through the Bible and having a solid theology of what each passage means and then explaining it to you in a way that you can clearly understand. And if you're not at a church like that, you've got to get into one. You have to become an active member. It's not even optional. You need a church for fellowship. You need it for the uh this the Lord the um the Lord's Supper and for baptism, which are commanded for us to engage in, not by ourselves, but in fellowship with others. And if if you need help finding a Bible-believing church like that, we'll put in this description below uh, links so you can find a place that is near you. Or if there's not anything near you, you can work with a church planter or move. I mean, it's that important to move to be close to a Bible-believing church that you can be an active member of. Really well said. Yeah. Well, I just hear from, you know, I get letters every single day from people who want to tell me why they can't read the Bible or why they can't find a church. And, you know, I know that it's difficult. There's a lot of apostate churches out there. There's a lot of feely, you know, supernatural driven churches that seem to be exciting with all the music and the lights and the smoke machines and the the well-dressed pastor. But we want, and there's nothing wrong with the pastor being well-dressed, but they, you know, these pastors, they have very expensive designer clothes and it's all like calling attention to themselves kind of thing instead of respect for the Lord through their dress. And, you know, it's not about being entertained. It's about learning and growing in Christ uh, and in God's word at church. So this is super important, you guys. We we want to make sure this is your priority, your priority to read the Bible every single day, even if it's just a section of a chapter. Just yep. make sure you've got it on your nightstand and you've got a physical Bible. Uh, and the, the, um, the translations we recommend... Uh, KJV I grew up with. It's a fine translation, but gosh, it's hard to understand unless you are from England, 1600. You know, it's just, it's so, it's so new King James version. It's from the same Textus Receptus, new King James version. Uh, I like, and Dave likes the ESV and the NASB. LSB is good. CSB is good. I like that. I recently read the Charles Spurgeon study Bible and CSB really enjoyed it. Uh, NIV is okay. You know, it's a dynamic, thought for thought translation, not my favorite, but it's, 
you know, some people really like it. It's clear and it's a good translation. NLT is what I started out with, New Living Translation. Again, a dynamic thought for thought translation. It's a little liberal. I wouldn't read it now, but it sure helped me out when I was first uh, getting into the Bible. Yeah. And Dave and I have done two videos on what to stay away from. The passion is not even a Bible. Oh, get away from it. Same with yeah. the message. These are opinions. They're not Bibles. And of course, it goes without saying to stay away from the New International Bible, which is from a cult. That's not the Bible. And the Mormon translation. And That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It matters what we do with the Bible. You know, I think I've said this before. On I know I've said this on Equipping and Grace. I know I've said this on your show. It matters what we do with the Bible because it shows what we believe about the Bible. And so whether you're whether we're talking about prayer or Bible reading or preaching or teaching or whatever it is, all of it is to be seen and to be done uh, under and by the word. And that's why, you know, as we talk about contemplative prayer and these things, we're, we're doing we're talking about those things. Because they don't adhere to the Bible that we believe and we love and that we're to cherish and that we're to read and study and and to really grow in. And so, you know, it's not about, um, you know, warning about those things. You know, it's easy just to stay silent, but we can't stay silent because we, the Bible tells us to, you know, to expose the works of darkness, uh, Ephesians 5.11. And so we're, we're to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And this is a matter of really loving God and loving people. It's the most unloving thing to do. If you see somebody that is is injured and you just walk on past them, um, where's your love for that person? And the same way, if we don't tell you about you know, these things, uh, we're not being very loving. Uh, we're not being obedient to God. And so I just want to, I want to say that that way, because, you know, you know, it's, it's easy just to, you know, focus on the theology and the things like that and to pump that out. But it's, it's another thing to tell you, Hey, out of love, you should really be concerned about this. And if you're engaged in it, you should stop immediately because it dishonors God. And, you know, when, when Jesus started talking about this way, people got really uncomfortable and they really hated him. The religious leaders did, and they wanted to kill him, you know, um, because when you start pressing the truth to, it, it, into people's lives, um, they get really, really uncomfortable. Like when you start talking about money and, you know, uh, those kind of things, politics, and people get really uncomfortable. But we need the truth pressed home into our lives because – there's not, uh, as Abraham Kuyper once said, uh, there's not the Dutch theologian. There's not one square inch over which God doesn't say mine and mine and mine. He owns he owns it all and he owns you and me. And so it really matters uh, what we think and what we believe and and then how we how we practice and work out our faith with fear and trembling before God. Praise the Lord. So, well, I, th I think that, um, I think you get our point that we want to stay away from mystical practices, no matter what they're called. I mean, people will keep coming up with new names and uh, they'll try to sell it to you. But if it's not in the Bible, beware. Well, this was, this was really good, sister. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you very much for, um, making this this podcast about such an important topic 
Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.